0: Welcome to the Edge Podcast, your home for recruiting news and team analysis inside the Oregon State Beavers football, basketball, and baseball programs. BeaversEdge.com is the authority on all things Oregon State Athletics. Now, here's your host, BeaversEdge.com editor, Mike Singer. Happy New Year, Beaver Nation. This is Mike Singer at BeaversEdge.com, joined by senior writer Brendan Slaughter, cannot believe uh how fast time flies it is now january 1st 2019 2018 was a heck of a year for the beavers huh brendan
1: yeah it was uh culminated by a national championship and then a rough first season an elite eight appearance along the way it was it was a pretty good uh pretty good year in 2018 all considering and uh Keep an eye out this week. We got top moments of 2018 coming up on BeaversEdge.com. Looking forward to that. Um,
0: there's one uh, moment that uh, when I when 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 we came up with that story, Brendan, that story idea. Um, there's one thing I told you to throw in there, and, and we'll see if you do. That I don't. I think a lot of Oregon State fans might not remember is the top moment in 2018. So. Make sure to check that out. That article will be on Wednesday, Oregon State fans. So make sure to check out beaversedge.com for that. Let's um, let's talk recruiting, Brendan. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about this 2019 class and the grade for it. Uh, I don't know what it is, but whenever you grade something it's a hot topic you know a b c d f whatever you put on something it is it's always been a hot topic on beaversedge.com um and the oregonian recruiting writer wrote a story about oregon state's recruiting class and it was a hot topic on on the damn board at beaversedge.com because his grades weren't very good um for the oregon state class what he thought and I could not disagree more. I didn't actually read the article. It just uh, was going off what other people said but um, on our message board. But, man, I'm thinking about this class. Um, if you look at the commitment list, uh, go to beaversedge.com, scroll down a little bit, you'll see the um, 2019 Oregon State football commitment list, um, 15 recruits listed, all of them assigned. You got, let's see, one, two, three... Got four two star prospects, um, the rest three star prospects, and one four star prospect. And and Omar Spates, um, I'm a big fan of Omar Spates. I think he's going to end up being the top high school recruit in this class for Oregon State. But, um, you know, he he was a pretty sought after recruit when he was in Philadelphia. And then when he moved out to Corvallis, things kind of slowed down for him uh, a little bit. So, you know, you got a four star. In Spates, but I think other websites have them rated as a three, so um, maybe not a quote unquote what true four star, whatever you want to say, consensus four star, uh, however you want to put that. So um, look at this class on just the commitment list. You're like, all right, yeah, looks looks pretty good. You know, Spates looks good. You know, got some some defensive linemen, but if it was just this, I would understand. Like if you're just looking at these fifteen signees, yeah, the class is. Okay, like is it going to be uh, instant impact um, class? No, no. I mean, you know, Simon Sandberg, Jordan Whitley, um, you got those two guys are junior college defensive linemen that Oregon State's adding. But if you just look at, again, look at this, the 15 signees, it's nothing super special. I I wouldn't say it's um, going to really turn the program around in a year or two. so, I if you, again, looking at these 15, I would say maybe it's a a, a, D, a C or a D. That's what you would grade the class. But when you add four really s- solid stud transfers, it shoots from like a C to an A. Yes, Oregon State missed out on some high school quarterbacks earlier in the process. Yes, they missed out on some good offensive line recruits. But when you add Tristan Jebia who I think is going to be a three-year starter for Oregon State if he stays healthy. You add Tyjon Lindsey, who I think is going to be the leading receiver for Oregon State next year. And then you add Addison Gums and Avery Roberts to your linebacking corps. Both guys, I believe, will start and will be very good for Oregon State. Maybe Roberts leads the team and tackles next season. These are four key players at key positions. Note. They're not defensive linemen or offensive linemen, and if Oregon State fans had their way, the Beavers would literally just sign a class full of offensive, defensive linemen. (laughs) That's what they want. But these are still important positions, really talented players. Um, I just don't—I really don't understand how you can look at Oregon State's class with these transfers and think it's not a good class. It just— blows my mind quarterback is the most important position on the field and Oregon State just landed a complete stud and he's already been on campus so he's he knows Corvallis he knows the culture and he's been acquainted for months now practicing with the team I I can't be high enough on this class I think it's an A no question about it
1: well you know the interesting thing about this about you know you mentioned Tristan Jebia. And I think more than anything, you mentioned being on campus, running the scout team, already knowing what Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren are looking for on offense. That's a huge plus. Combine that with the fact that, you know, barring something unforeseen for the next three years, Tristan Jebby is not going to have to look over his shoulder for a quarterback coming up or having to make a change, which is something that just about every quarterback at Oregon State for, what, the last three, four years has had to deal with. At some point or another, whether it was the rotating door of Daryl Garrison, Marcus McMarion, Nick Mitchell, uh, Seth Collins, so on so forth, Connor Blount, uh, Jake Luton, <laughs> so on so forth. Fu- I mean, I could you know you could just go off forever. But now Oregon State appears you know if, if all goes well that they'll have that guy that you mentioned three year starter count another half year that he's already been with the program will be a full year by next fall. And like you said, quarterbacks the most important position in the field. The Beavers haven't had a quarterback that's really been even semi consistent since Sean Mannion in twenty. I guess it was twenty fourteen was his last season. I mean, he was good enough to at least be a backup in the NFL. He threw a couple passes on Sunday after the Rams uh, ran by uh, the Forty Nine ers. So got to give a little shout out to Sean Mannion for getting some game action. But you know, it's uh, I think as far as having that leader, Oregon State has it. You know, they they have their guy. He appears to be there for three years. And you combine that with what I believe to be a solid under-the-radar recruiting class as is, just with those fifteen guys. Yeah. Toss in those transfers. Look, I'm not saying Oregon State's gonna be a heck of a lot better because I think the Pac twelve is loaded and it's gonna take a lot to kind of climb your way out of the cellar, so to speak. But Oregon State shouldn't be getting trounced in games next year. You know, on a weekly basis, they should be much more competitive in games. They should be there. The coaching staff will be a year wiser. They'll be, you know, more familiar with the personnel that they have. And to be honest, I think they're going to have a lot of young and hungry uh, young guys in this recruiting class that are going to come in and want to fight for starting spots. And we heard from. You know, the Oregon State coaches, when we talked to them at signing day, that, you know, these young, they'll be able to push for – some of these guys will be able to push for starting playing time. So that tells me that the Beavers are leaving all options open and will do whatever it takes to succeed, and that's a good thing.
0: You, going back to the quarterbacks real quick, Brendan, you mentioned all of the quarterbacks in recent years have had to look over their shoulder. Part of that is due to the starter maybe just – wasn't not that great so he had to right um, i
1: think possible certainly possible
0: so with jebbia if he is everything that uh or if he is all the hype that we've built up for him then um yeah it's not something he'll probably have to worry about um but jebbia is a competitor um so again i i don't think that's um, going to be a concern for him he wants to compete um but yeah, looking at the the 15 again um decent class nothing eye popping but plenty of developmental guys um, that I like um Luke Musgrave I wrote as a lock um, yep. yep let's see um, Stover is like my favorite recruit in the class um so yeah some some high upside guys and that's what Oregon State needs to do is um, as, as we spoke about a couple weeks ago the beavers need those developmental. Um, kind of boomer bust prospects, as well as hitting the transfer ranks is gonna be big for Oregon State moving forward. Is this gonna be a one year wonder with landing these guys or is this something Oregon State's gonna be able to do um, moving forward will certainly be interesting.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know the the just kind of my last thoughts on this is that you know, Oregon State was able to get these, you know four 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 star transfers. And Omar Spade, so really toss in you know a, a grand total of five. five and I would 30. say
0: Nathan Eldridge. If recruiting yeah. sites did rank transfers and whatnot, I would say he. I mean, Rivals wrote a story about the top ten committed graduate transfers. Eldridge was one of the top ten in the country, so I would say oh. you know he, he's. I would throw him in there too.
1: Yeah, toss in him as well, and, and the and you know I, I said this. I don't, I don't want to be a broken record, but I said the same thing you know um when uh, a few years ago when after a similar first season Gary Anderson got a, a a better first class by ranking wise than would be expected and I said well if Oregon State's able to get this right these these five, four or five four stars when you cat it in and then add in Nathan Eldridge who could be right there as well off of a 2 and 10 season yeah right if you can win four games next year five games next year then the the bigger name guys that maybe you know aren't looking at you right now, I think then those g- wheels are starting to get greased a little bit. It's hard to sell you know big time recruits on a team that went two and ten. That's just fact. So you know if Oregon State starts to win games, they show improvement. I, I think the the bigger recruits will eventually follow because from what we've been able to see, Jonathan Smith and his staff, you know they're not flashy, but they sell their message well, and I think that'll resonate with recruits.
0: When I went on my little rant earlier in this podcast, I, I talked about the transfers and how big that was. I, I didn't even mention Eldridge, and he's going to literally come in and start right away at the yeah. center position. Um, it's just big. The offensive line has got plenty of potential. I, I could see them struggling once again uh, because, you know, you're kind of hoping guys like Kipper and Good, who are really unknowns yeah. at this point, do develop. Um, so we'll see on that. And then you're hoping that um, – you know, Blake Brandle, like Candle, and, uh, <laughs> and Gus Lavaca um, take another step, too, as seniors. So, offensive line could look good. Defensive line, you know, these have been problems for Oregon State in the past few years. And, you know, things are maybe starting to look, look pretty good there. Um, so, that's some recruiting talk. Good stuff there, Brendan. I um, want to talk a little bit about some stuff going on at beaversedge.com. So right now we're doing a series on the top 10 defenders um, in 2018. So at number 10, got started with Isaiah Dunn. Uh, number 9 was Key Wetzel. And just make sure to check out beaversedge.com as we continue that list. So what I did was is look at the pro football focus rankings and I think I, it was players who saw more than 100 snaps who were the top 10 Oregon State Beaver we defensive players. And then next week, I'll do the top 10 offensive players. We're just in a little bit of a slow period in January before um, things get ramped up after the recruiting dead period ends, I believe. It's the 10th, I believe. Maybe 10th or 12th. Um, so we're, we're going through that. Some interesting stuff. Moving over to Basketball. Brendan, on Monday, you had a, a really good read. Um, the Oregon State Beavers Monday notebook uh, covering the the men's and women's teams. One thing that I think is pretty interesting right now in basket men's basketball is just how bad the Pac-12 is. Um, what Oregon State's eight and four? Is that right? Eight and four, and that's like second best in the conference. And Oregon State did not have a good non-conference. It's could, yeah. Could the could the Pac-12 only send one team, one team to the NCAA tournament?
1: I think it's possible. You know, I talked about it in my story, and, and you know, uh, like I like like you said, Oregon State eight and four, and they still sit fifth. In the Pac-12, if you can believe that, even with how, you know, I mean, beaversedge.com fans have, you know, definitely, and subscribers have definitely, you know, shown, or, you know, a little bit of their frustrations this year. Oregon State's dropped some games. They certainly could have won, but yet they're still, it's 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 like I wrote a couple weeks ago. The Pac-12 is begging, begging to be take, or taken by, you know, a team and it doesn't look like anyone wants to take the reins just when you think Arizona State who was ranked highly after beating Kansas yeah. you know you think okay maybe they're going to be the conference front runner then they go drop a game at home to Princeton i mean UCLA is so fed up with their situation they fired Steve Alford in the middle of the season and Steve Alford had you know uh, you know had been their golden boy after you know uh, they let Ben Howland go a few years ago he got big time recruits in there um, Oregon has had, you know, Oregon w- probably would have been the conference's favorite, but they've been absolutely injury prone this year, Arizona, you know, another conference favorite, really struggling to get over the cloud of Sean Miller, or Deandre Ayton, Yeah, you know, we didn't think that was going to linger, but I tell you what the PAC 12, I mean, man, it's, it, you know, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, Oregon state's eight and four, they haven't played well, but we know the team is still talented and has talent. Streaky. With how bad bad the Pac-12 is, you just don't know. You don't know how – I think Oregon State could still make a decent season out of it. I really do.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't think Oregon State has taken the step we thought they would, but – Hey, the Pac-12 is so bad. Who knows? Yep. And they're such a streaky team. Oregon State can beat anyone in this conference, but they can also lose to anyone in this conference. And I think yep. that's kind of been the same for the past couple of seasons, but even more so now. Um, USC always brings in pretty good recruiting classes. They're six and six. Yep. I can't believe Oregon State is literally one game, um, you know, uh, from first place. Of course, this is talking about non-conference, which doesn't matter in the Pac-12 standings, um, but you ran through some of the teams, Colorado, uh, nine and three, they had an injury to one of their uh, best players before the season. So, you know, they're, you know, not looking too great, you know, I mentioned USC Washington, you know, eight and four Stanford seven and five, just not, uh, not great. Um, Cal,
1: Cal can't get out, get out of their own way. Yeah. They just
0: lost to Seattle,
1: Utah yeah. just lost to Nevada, watch Ernie Kent and Washington State appear to be on the outs maybe at the end of this season I mean the the Pac-12 to put it simply it's a mess it's a mediocre mess this season so who knows what's going to happen and and you mentioned it a few minutes ago I think it's entirely possible that if the conference doesn't improve because outside of Arizona State's win over Kansas uh, you know I I don't believe the conference really has a marquee non-conference win it could be possible that one team whoever wins the Pac-12 tournament is the conference's one and only automatic bid to the NCAA tournament and that would be wow that, that would be that, really really something and you'd be like national okay.
0: headlines for the wrong reason that's oh, what I, that would be
1: Like I said the Pac-12 men's basketball is taking a page out of Pac-12 football this year <laughs> not uh, not living up to par I guess This is
0: this is completely yeah. different I would say this is completely different um this is much worse.
1: <laughs> but I'll take, I'll, 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 I'll give you that one. Much worse. I like that. So this oh, like, is
0: kind of one of my thoughts. I'm, as I'm looking at the Pac-12, I'm, I'm looking at Arizona. What if they still had DeAndre Ayton? Oregon's yep. lost players to the, that have gone to the NBA. Um, heck, Utah. What if Kyle Kuzma was coming into his, what, junior season? You know, like. Yeah, star. Um,
1: He's good. Yeah. He's
0: good. So, yeah, he is. My. And I'm sure there's several – I mean, what, if Markel Fultz was still at Washington, you know, like – but then if the
1: – I still Pac- don't think he would have been able to shoot them, Mike. I mean
0: – If the Pac-12 kept some of these guys, of course, then the ACC's and the SEC's, you know, those conference would have kept their guys too. But Pac-12 would be a little bit more respectable if they had some of these players. And with, um, with the whole one-and-done thing, I hate it. I am – I hate the one-and-done. I think it's horrible for college basketball because you just don't know, like, if you—outside um, of, like, Duke, um, who I, I know, R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson because of, you know, just how household names they are. And then some yep. of these teams in the Pac-12 I'm familiar with. I don't know anyone in the SEC. I don't know any players in the Big Ten because— All the good ones are just gone in a year. Like, I don't know some of these juniors and seniors. They're not really household names at all. I think what is much better for the sport, and this is just Mike Singer talking, so it doesn't really matter, but is if a recruit wants to go to the NBA right out of high school, let them. I think that there is, like a guy like Zion Williamson, he is ready for NBA ball. So if a recruit wants to go straight to the NBA, let him. I think that there will be one or two every class that are ready for that and let them do that. Otherwise, if you're going to college, I like, just like in college football, stay for you have to stay for three years um, to be eligible for the draft. I think that would be really good for college basketball. I think it would be good for the NBA, too, to get some of those NBA-ready guys right away, as well as some of those guys would stay in college for a little while and develop more like a Foltz, you know, so he could stay and get his jump shot kind of figured out uh, before getting all that pressure in the NBA. This is a kind of off topic, but I like that. Brenda, you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're a hundred percent correct. And you know, it's, you know, uh, it's um, you know, uh, we've covered Oregon state baseball exclusively, you know, now for the last few years and, what you just mentioned is kind of the, the college baseball model coming out of high school you want to go to the pros go right ahead yep. but if you come to college you got to stay until junior eligibility or you turn 21 whichever comes first and adam silver nba commissioner has you know talked about that model specifically and i'm 100% in agreement i think that if a kid comes to college you know we've talked about you know it's been talked about over and over again that you know if a kid comes in and plays how much college is he really getting if he comes in he gets what a term term and a half maybe two terms if then he declares and leaves after his freshman year that i mean i just don't feel like that's what the benefit of going to college is for and in that situation if there was you know a guy like you know Zion Williamson a guy like um you know, I'm trying to think of another big one that's recently come out. Um, you know, in this case, you know, maybe someone like Lonzo Ball. You probably would have figured he probably would have gone straight to the NBA, yeah. or at least at least his father would have made him go straight to the NBA. <laughs> right. But um, you know, I, I'm 100% in agreement. And you know, my last thing on this whole topic is, given that, given that Oregon's lost some guys to the NBA, given that Arizona's lost some guys to the NBA, given that you know other teams the Pac-12, Utah has, so on and so forth. It's it's kind of disappointing when you go back and you see Oregon State, who has you know two guys with you know that came in the same class. Trace Tinkle didn't play one year and redshirted, but technically is the same you know senior standing you know on paper, even though right. he's a redshirt junior. Stevie Thompson Jr. Oregon State's got two seniors that are near the top of the Pac-12 and active points scored, so on so forth. The Beavers should be better than they are. It's They're a great not point. Re- they're not rebuilding. They have guys that have been here, stuck with it. You know, maybe Drew Eubanks leaving. You know, Oregon State's program couldn't absorb that loss, and it's been tougher to get. You know, Kyler Kelly and Big G up to speed. But I mean, man, it's it's almost just under. It's underwhelming, and that's why I keep thinking that eventually. And you know, put, throw on my orange-colored glasses. I'm gonna keep holding out hope that eventually this team's gonna put it together because eventually. You'd think that veteran senior experience would pay off in a very weak Pac-12 this year.
0: That's a great point, Brendan. Like, uh, Eubanks was a loss. Just looking at the past couple years, um, yeah, losing Eubanks, and and there were some guys um, that that Oregon State lost uh, off the team. I mean, Oregon State's had plenty of attrition, but just looking at NBA guys, like yeah, Eubanks going to the Spurs, but. Um, a, a lot of these teams we're talking about, they lost guys to the NBA. Oregon State really hasn't. Like this no. is this is their core—the Thompson Bros and Tinkle and Big G. Like this is what Oregon State's had, and they've this is not delivering. So, and we'll see. We'll see in in, in conference play. And speaking of conference play, uh, this Saturday at five p.m. in Eugene, the Civil War. Brendan, what are kind of your expectations? I know you wrote on Monday that you think the Beavers can get that done.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, uh, streaks are meant to be broken, and it's hard to believe that Oregon State has not won in Matthew Knight Arena since, I believe, 2012? Yeah, January of 2012 is the last time they won in Matthew Knight Arena. Craig Robinson was coaching. The team had Jared Cunningham, Eric Moreland. I mean, it, it is surprising when you look and see how long it's been because you know the Beavers just haven't brought in a team that's been able to handle the pressure. Um, you know, I, I think if it was if Oregon was healthy, I wouldn't give them much of a chance. But you know, Oregon just you know already has Bobo who's out, and then they lose Kenny Wooten as well with a broken jaw for the next foreseeable future, most likely all of conference play. Uh, you know, it they've got a chance if they you know they they do, and I, and I think that they they do. I've watched Oregon play, and they've kind of been like the rest of the conference, just so so with the rest of their role players, Peyton Pritchard, obviously, you know, now a senior, Um, they've got some leadership, Dana Altman's one heck of a coach, and I think he'll have a great game plan, but uh, yeah, I mean, I expect Oregon State to play well, because, you know, as I wrote my story, eventually, you know, the Beavers kind of got to, you know, put up or shut up a little bit, as I mentioned, you know, they've got a, a very veteran core of, Two big time leaders. They got Big G back now. He got his feet back, or you know, back under him a little bit against um, Central Connecticut State. So they've got their leaders. They've got a blossoming, you know, star I think in Kyler Kelly, who you know is becoming a defensive dynamo. Um, you combine all that with you know, you need the Thompson brothers to score and Tinkle to the score. They need to play defense, but I, I like their chances. I think it'll be tough, but I think I think they'll be they'll keep it close and maybe even have a chance to pull it out. Switching over to the women's side
0: uh, on January 4th, this upcoming Friday at 7, and then January 6th on Sunday at 2 p.m. Oregon State hosts Washington State and Washington, respectively. Um, both teams I would expect um, Oregon State would beat handily, um, and that would be four straight wins for Oregon State, and that would put them at 12-2 and two on the season. And then the following week at UCLA and at USC, a couple teams that um, have given the Beavers some trouble, I would say, in recent memory. But um, I don't think those two programs are what they were last year. I think UCLA and USC beat the women's team last year. Oregon State, is that right?
1: Yeah, no. um, You know, UCLA lost a big, big, big chunk of their core. You know, uh, Jordan Canada graduated... um, trying to think of um, their their center as well who just who graduated this last year they're in a bit of a rebuilding phase USC has always got long athletic players and and those teams with very quick athletic players that can kind of guard Oregon State on the three-point line give them a little bit of trouble and that LA road trip usually happens early in the season and it's been a little it's been a little dicey for the Beavers at times and um, but I don't think, like you mentioned, those programs are, um, where they were maybe last year, year before. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I look at the schedule and I see Oregon state, you know, a couple games at home against the Washington schools, a couple games on the road against UCLA USC, you know, they, they don't have to play Oregon f- until, you know, mid and end, fe- uh, end of February. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, Stanford, they only have to play Stanford once in the regular season so that's a, a, a plus 2 down there and um, uh poly, or down there in the Maple's pavilion excuse me so the way the conference schedule r- works out i think Oregon state could really have a chance to start this thing off on a very strong note you know 2 and 0 3 and 0 4 and 0 you know and looking even ahead you know we, you get in deep into conference play the pac 12 was good i wrote about it in the story earlier this week much better than the men's pac 12 but this Oregon State team, you know, they uh, they've shown they can hang with the best, and you know, they went toe to toe with Notre Dame, weren't quite able to finish, but I, I think this team's only going to get better as the season goes along. So I like their chances. Yeah, they had the
0: other loss to Texas A and M. Um...
1: Questionable. That one is that one is a little puzzling, but you know. And
0: I, I think people look at that loss and maybe they're like, eh, maybe this team's not as good as we thought. But man, I think that's that's silly. You wrote about this, Brendan. That's a great learning lesson for the, the team to go through that loss. Um, but just looking at the, the conference schedule, you mentioned they only play Stanford once. They also only play Cal once. And Cal is yep. uh, the number 18 team in the country right now. So you look at... The Washington schools, the L.A. schools, um, the Arizona schools are, are decent. I, I don't know how good Arizona is. I know the, the Sun Devils are like number 20 or 22 in the country or something like that. Um, and then continuing on, the playing at the Washington schools, this should be a stretch of eight straight wins, um, you yeah, know, getting ahead beautiful. of ourselves maybe a little bit. Um, and then playing the mountain schools, Colorado, Utah at home, And now we're getting into early February, and then you go at Stanford, at Cal, at Oregon. That's a tough stretch. Those are three-ranked teams. Of course, Oregon and Stanford looking at the AP poll right now. Oregon's number five and Stanford's number six. The Beavers are number 11. Um, So that's a tough stretch. And then you got Oregon, USC, UCLA at home, and then at Arizona State at Arizona to uh, to finish the Pac-12 play in early March so it seems like Oregon State can make a lot of noise those first nine ten games and then it gets pretty tough um so what's your um Pac-12 play prediction for the Oregon State women's teams how many um how many losses do you see them having um before the Pac-12 tournament
1: I see no more than two to three, depending on how it goes. Uh, maybe three at the most. You know, like you said, that stretch at Stanford, at Cal, and then the, the um, you know, weekend doubleheader when you play Oregon twice, you yeah. know, that. I, you know, I'm purely Brendan Slaughter's opinion here, so it doesn't uh, doesn't mean anything uh, in the grand scheme of things. But um, I'm not. I don't really like how that sets up. You know, most rivalry teams kind of do that in women's basketball because they play a week earlier than the men do in the conference tournament. But uh, playing your rival twice in the matter of just a couple days, you know, I'd prefer it to be one one game a week, just like the men do. But right. for what it's worth. Um, I think it's really great for the program. I'm just going to highlight that February 18th game against Oregon uh, in Gill Coliseum. It's a Monday night game and it's nationally televised on ESPN too. Awesome. I think that I think that's you know just great for Oregon State. I think it's great for them to be able to play you know in the regular season. It's a 6 p.m. game, so it's not too late even on the East Coast. That's, you know, it's big to see a a women's basketball team, Oregon State, be on national TV. That's their only Uh,
0: national TV game of the season. I mean, it uh, is. of course, most games are on Pac-12 Network, but, you know, that's that's a different discussion whether or not that's national
1: TV. Just given the lack of Pac-12 Network's, you know, reach, you know, in a lot of different places. A lot of people don't get Pac-12 Networks. Um, You know, seeing the Beavers on ESPN, too, I think that stretch of games at Stanford, at Cal two games with Oregon, and then two games at home against UCLA. We'll learn a lot about this team. And, you know, I think a strong start is going to be exactly what they start off with. The Beavers, you know, shooting doesn't carry every night, but defense does, and the Beavers are an outstanding defensive team. I don't expect that to change. I expect them to get, you know, even better with, you know, the team still learning, you know, how Destiny Slocum operates, how they operate as more of a small ball team. Uh, I, I like I really, really think this team could be could be in for a two or three loss, or maybe even better than that, uh run to the Pac twelve this year, because I think they are that good. I really do.
0: Yeah, I think three losses sounds right. Um, you know, probably split with Oregon, you know, maybe um, you know, probably lose at Stanford. But hey, Oregon State's had some success against Stanford for sure. And then maybe one slip up in there, maybe, whether it's yeah. um, you know, at the air one of the Arizona schools or uh, at Cal, um, Oregon State would be expected to win those games, but you know, maybe that happens. So then you're looking at a five loss team, which what you know, maybe heading into the Pac twelve tournament I think Oregon State could be a two or a three seed this this season, but heck last look- year, what were they last year? I can't remember. Yeah, was last- it like a five?
1: Yeah, last year they went twenty six and eight, and they were fourteen and four in conference. Do you think they improve on that mark this year?
0: They should. I think. Yeah, they I, think should.
1: I think so too. They're a better. They're a better team. And you know, uh, like I said, you know, last year you talk about the whole way through they had Michaela Pivik at point guard. Yeah. No, you know, don't no disrespect, but Destiny Slocum is a much better point guard, and you see how Michaela Pivik is thriving being off the ball. Um, you know. Uh, If there's one constant that we've learned, you know, covering this team in the last few years, it's that, you know, Scott Rook's teams are pretty consistent. They're especially at this point in his tenure, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna be near the top of the Pac-12 every year, and they're gonna be, you know, right there as one of the best defensive teams in the country, and that's gonna win you games, plain and simple, in my opinion. So I'm excited, really excited to see how they roll through conference this year.
0: Last year's team definitely overachieved, I would say. So this year. sky's the sky's the limit man um yeah I, I could not believe that run last year just just looking through it beating tennessee and baylor i mean just yeah. wow that was, was a heck of a run and just think that this year's team is better um yeah, at least
1: in theory i mean yeah i mean you look at and the craziest part about that my last my last last little rant on women's basketball is you talk about you know the beavers going to beat you know western kentucky then they go beat Tennessee in Tennessee, and I think that snapped an unbelievable home winning streak in the postseason uh, for the Volunteers. Then they beat Baylor. Granted, they lose to a very good Louisville team. Yeah, but that all came after they lost to Arizona State in the in, in I believe it was uh, not the first round because I believe they got a bye, but first game real, they was, played. Yeah, yeah, first game they played in the Pac-12 tournament, and that is very rare for what the Beavers have done up there in Seattle recently. So. You know they they you know usually when the Beavers drop a game they respond real real well and you know they I think this year they'll definitely be playing their best basketball come March. Good stuff. So
0: that's um, basketball talk and then we're talking advance here looking into February and even early March and baseball's right in there. Beavers kickoff oh, kickoff um start the season um February fifteenth. Right. It just-
1: Didn't we just write about a national championship and here we are. I mean, man, that's exciting. Yeah. It feels like
0: it was just yesterday. So February 15th against New Mexico, 12 PM and surprise. Um, So we got that. We'll have to go more in depth on some baseball talk moving forward. I know Oregon state fans love their baseball and, um especially the you say fans love these winning teams you know yeah no so. hey
1: women's basketball and baseball they, they, they get the wins on a consistent basis and you know beaver's edge fans you can be happy you get to you get to hold up your head high and oregon state's reigning national champions until this next year's over so you know it's going to be exciting to follow the team this year and follow them under a new head coach and pat bailey at least on an interim basis this season and I, like I said, I told you a few minutes ago. I still can't believe baseball's about a month away because I—it feels like just yesterday they won that national championship. So it's a long season, but uh, another team that we'll get into in a podcast later, I'm sure. But a team that looks very stacked this year as well.
0: As always, good stuff, Brendan. Appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening uh, to the to the whole podcast. Really do appreciate that. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in to beaversedge.com and our podcast here. And have a happy new year, Beaver Nation. Mike Singer, Brendan Slaughter, signing off.